0: You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 256, Erica Wiggenhorn, and learning to be brave, sometimes you gotta get into that wheelbarrow. (laughs) This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. As always, I'm super stoked that you downloaded, found this episode. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in just blind chance. I believe in Providence, and I know that you are here uh, for a reason. So if you're listening to this episode, enjoy. I'm sure the Lord has something for you. Just ask that question. He'll answer you. Um, Today, we have a really great guest. I'm excited to share her story and have her with us. She's a speaker. She's an author of three Bible studies, including her most recent called Letting God Be Enough, Why Striving Keeps You Stuck and How Surrender Sets You Free. It's that sort of upside down kingdom thinking, I think. Our guest is Erica Wiggenhorn. Erica, welcome to Halfway There.
1: Hey, thanks for letting me be here. I like
0: I like pretending I'm halfway there for a few minutes. So right? This is going to be go. great. Yes, I know. I call it that because I figure we're all on the journey, right? We never actually get anywhere. We don't get there. We're always halfway. Plus, it's a little hat tip to my favorite band ever, Bon Jovi. So you got to <laughs> go with that. But uh, Erica, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And I would love to hear, I gave a kind of broad and brief introduction, but tell us more about you and where God has you right now.
1: Yeah, where God has me right now. So uh, my latest book, uh, one of the things God has repeatedly uh, laid on on my heart and in my mind as uh, over the course of the last few years in writing studies is uh, you can't teach what you won't live. And mm, so wow. it very much seems that whatever study book I'm working on, working through, God definitely is saying all right let's let's live this out but in letting god be enough the the gist of that book is really centered on the life of moses whom i affectionately call the greatest self-doubter of the bible (laughs) and it was birthed in my heart through my own struggle with a fear of inadequacy fear of failure fear of not being enough uh imposter syndrome uh it's got a lot of different names but overcoming that fear uh, is a big part of my own spiritual journey and so that book was really born out of that and so god in his wonderful sense of humor eric continues to put me in positions where i have to be brave Mm -hmm. (laughs) and face fear head on so that's where i'm at right now is learning to be
0: brave that's that's perfect okay there's no doubt a story to all of that. And I can't wait to hear it. So that'll be really wonderful. Um, let's, let's go, let's dive in. So where are you from?
1: I am originally from Southern California. I married my college sweetheart. We were at Azusa Pacific university together and, uh, he went to medical school. So after we graduated, we got married six weeks after we graduated, uh, And he went to medical school in Southern California. And then we moved to Michigan for seven years for his residency. And then we moved to North Carolina for the first three years of him practicing medicine. And then we moved out to Arizona to the Phoenix area when uh, my father at the time grew very ill and we wanted to be closer to my parents and that's where we are now. So we have a 17 year old daughter and a 15 year old son. So you know how to pray for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: of Raising two teenagers and uh, we love it here. And awesome. this is home now.
0: I yeah. love Phoenix. That's a great place to be. My grandparents used to winter down there. And so every couple of years we get to go down and catch a spring training game and, uh, and get oh, to see them. Yeah. It We've was,
1: got a lot of Iowans who winter yes. here. Yeah. Why so, is that? Yes. What is that?
0: What is that about? <laughs> I don't know. It's
1: warm and there's no snow.
0: Uh, yeah, and that exciting. could be it. That's good. My great-grandparents went there too, which is which is cool. So I feel a special connection to Arizona. Well, awesome. That's really interesting. So you grew up in Southern California, which I have to tell you, as an Iowan, it seems very exotic to me, right? Like that seems like like it was must have been amazing. probably, you know, probably just was normal. But so what was that like? And what was your family like? What was the spiritual climate?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a family that um, my parents, I would say they were both Christians, but we were not active church goers. Faith was not a regular part of our life. So I was the kid who got the new Easter dress and went to church on Easter and Christmas. And that was about it. Yeah. Uh, or when my grandparents visited, we went to church. Uh, because if you knew my grandfather, there was absolutely no way you were going to be in his presence on a Sunday morning and not be in church. That was non negotiable. So when I was about uh 8 years old my grandparents moved from Tennessee uh, out to southern California where they could be in more temperate climate and they moved into this retirement center uh that had you you had your own home but it was like a retirement city oh, we have a lot of those out here in phoenix yep. but I, don't, I don't know if you have those in denver but we have them uh, everywhere in phoenix
0: not as far and, as i know like the, phoenix is the only place i've ever seen that but so, i'm sure they're everywhere
1: yeah so this uh, retirement community had you know their own grocery store and post office and they had their own churches And so I spent just about every weekend with my grandparents from the time that they moved out here. And we I would, of course, go with them to church. And because it was a retirement community, there was no children's church or Sunday school (laughs) or anything like that. I was, you know, one of the five people in the sanctuary under 65. And there was this massive pulpit that sort of seemed to you know suspend from the sky with this giant of a man in a flowing black robe who had a very loud booming voice <laughs> and a propensity to pound on that pulpit when he got very excited and that was really my first consistent church experience and that kind of terrified me a little bit of uh, to be honest with you yeah. i believed in God, I knew God existed, Uh, he seemed to be somebody that was very distant, very powerful, um, not, uh, not loving, not kind, I sort of had this uh, weird idea that, you know, God the Father was a lot like that big giant man in the black flowing robe, and then Jesus was the guy who walked around, you know, patting children on heads and had the, the little lamb over his shoulders. And then the Holy Spirit, like, we didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit. He was kind of like the red-headed stepchild of the <laughs> Trinity. Right. You know, yeah. And we called him a ghost. Like, as a kid, the Holy Ghost, you yeah. know, we would recite the Apostles' Creed, and I'd be like, ghost? <laughs> what, what, What is this place? Uh, so I had a lot of spiritual confusion, um, a lot of disjointed aspects of faith growing up.
0: Yeah, that's so that's really interesting. I can relate to it because we would say as a kid to like, I believe in the Holy spirit. I just don't expect him to do anything. Right. Like I don't expect the Holy spirit to actually show up or something to happen because that's weird. And we don't want to be like those Yahoo's laughing in Toronto or wherever it was. Right. You know, whatever, it, right. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right.
1: So yeah, yeah.
0: exactly. Okay. So much more like we believe, but not, not so much. I get that. Okay. So where, so you were kind of afraid. It sounds like you, yeah, you absolutely got this kind of idea of God from, you know, the affect of the preacher and how that, how that looks. So, so what happened then?
1: Yeah. So then my grandparents actually ended up moving next door to us out of the retirement community. And so then we started attending the church down the street from our home. And this was my first experience of having any sort of youth pastor. I was a young teen at the time. And in this particular denomination, you took religious education classes. So you could go through confirmation and it was very scripted. And um, you know, you start at age 12 and you go till age 13. And uh, so I had this wonderful youth pastor, uh, very patient, kind, loving. Uh, I was very skeptical of all of this at this point. Um, The, big giant man in the black flowing robe had definitely not won me over to faith mm-hmm. and uh, about this same time my parents put me in a Christian school and uh, that was a really interesting experience for me as well um, it was really my first time being immersed and surrounded by people that were quote unquote religious and there were a lot of things that I saw there that were didn't I didn't like yeah so anyway, um, my youth pastor patiently sat through all of my skepticism, all of my 50 million questions, all of um, you know well what about this and you know I went through all of the questions I think a lot of people ask you know if God is good, why do bad things happen? Um, you know if God is good, why does my grandmother have cancer when I depend on her so much? Um, simple not simple things that we ask about God. Uh, but after much, much patience and understanding and really walking me through the gospels and introducing me to Jesus, not my ideas about Jesus, Mm. but what Jesus actually says about himself in the, all those red letters in our Bible, uh, I came to faith in Christ. And at that point in my life, uh, Mark, my youth pastor said, okay, Erica, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you're going to need to have a quiet time. Now, you don't know me that well, Eric, but if there's two things I really hate in life, it's sitting still (laughs) and being quiet. (laughs) So this proved a little difficult for me. Um, Like, okay, what is this quiet time thing? And he's like, well, you know, you got to read your Bible on your own, not just with me, you've got to read your Bible on your own. And you've got to pray, you've got to talk to God, you've got to develop a relationship with him. And I can remember as a 14 year old girl growing up in, you know, Los Angeles area in Southern California, big city, um, sitting on my bed and reading the gospels and Jesus talking about, you know, plowshares and wheat tares and mustard <laughs> seeds and me, you know, I just said to Jesus, how, how am I supposed to follow you when I can't even understand you? I don't even like, I I can't even envision any of these things in my mind. And reading the Bible became just a really frustrating experience for me. And I felt guilty because if you're a Christian, you're supposed to love reading your Bible. Like (laughs) this is God's word. Right. And then I would go to church and I would hear people say things like, um, You know, I I was I was having my quiet time and God really spoke to me as I was reading such and such in the Bible. And I would think, well, God doesn't speak to me when I read my Bible. Well, maybe I'm not really even safe. Like, you know, I don't know. And and I cycled through this. Guilt and this shame because I felt ashamed that God wasn't speaking me, to me through the Bible and I wasn't loving being in the Bible. And when I opened the pages of scripture, I didn't have this euphoric experience or this feeling of being any closer to God as I was reading the Bible than if I walked, you know, rode my bike down to the beach and walked along the shore. I felt closer to God there than I did on the pages of scripture. And so I cycled in this process of guilt and shame for a lot of years and I would feel guilty and I'd finally take my Bible off the shelf and I'd try to read it again. And then I'd feel ashamed because I didn't enjoy it. I didn't understand it. And uh, it wasn't until many years later in my life that I began to attend a Bible study that I finally began to learn how to read the Bible and how to understand the Bible And then I fell in love with the Bible, but it was a long process. And it 100% uh, required being in community with other believers and, and God using them to help explain the scriptures to me uh, in order to come to that place. And so I'm, I'm very empathetic, I guess, to people out there that say, you know, I, I know I should read my Bible more. I know I should make it more of a priority. I don't really like it. You know, no Christian wants to admit that. Yep. um, But I totally get it. And that was really the whole impetus behind me wanting to write Bible studies is just to provide people tools to say, um, you know what? It, it's really not that hard if you just have somebody who will come alongside you and kind of help you with it. And when I yes. get an email from somebody that says, for the first time in my life, I finally feel like I understand the Bible. I just like want to jump out of my chair because I remember that moment in my life and how powerful it was and how freeing it was. Yes, so. I,
0: I love that. I say all the time as evangelicals, we have two spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible and prayer, but nobody will teach you how to do either one right? Like it's it's so hard yeah. to to do that. So I love that you're addressing that with your, with your work, which I think is really, really needed as a biblical studies guy. I completely agree. I went to college and I told you earlier, that's where I learned how to read the Bible, but it was a whole different experience than anything I was getting, you know, in, in, um, church for sure. Although we did have, we did have concordances. So that was nice. But, um, so, I, interesting i the other thing I wanted to comment on I thought was really fascinating is the idea that this you know, yes, of course the Bible is important, it's formational, but for much of history, Christians didn't even have access to it, right like so we so how what an interesting way that we've swung in five hundred years or so now it's it didn't even used to be available in your language, right? and you had to depend on the priest and and so that that kind of idea has, has really spread, but it's tough when the fruit of it is guilt, right? Like that's, a, that's an issue. That was definitely yeah. not probably what we want. Okay. So you eventually figured that out by getting into a Bible study. How did that, how'd that come about? And what was like, how'd that, how that happen? Tell us about that moment when you were like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I would, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily a moment. Sure. Um, it was really more of a process. Um, but when I really began to consistently and intentionally pursue Bible study, that really came in a, a, a dark moment in my life. And it was the moment that my husband and I were uh, faced with infertility. Mm. And a friend of mine at church was like, you need to come to Bible study with me. Um, And of course, I went kicking and screaming because I had absolutely no desire to go to that. And I certainly did not want to go and make myself vulnerable in front of all these people that I went to church with of how um, dismally small my amount of Bible knowledge was. Uh, So, you know, that's another issue that I think people really struggle with. It's like, oh, I don't want to go to Bible study because I don't want people to know how little I know about the Bible. Um, but then I don't ever learn anything more about the Bible because I never go to Bible study. So, uh, But I went and it really became a turning point in my life when I was consistently in Bible study. I was consistently learning how to pray. I was sitting around a table with women who were prayer warriors and they prayed scripture. And I had never heard people pray like that. You know, I had only heard the pastor pray before he started preaching his sermon or when we said grace, you know, in our extended family, I had never heard women, you know, saying, you know, and Lord, you said that, you know, when you're high and lifted up, you will draw all people unto yourself. And so draw this person's heart, you know, and just. Praying scripture, you know, open their eyes, Lord, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Uh, I'd never heard that before and it rocked my world. And I remember sitting there thinking, man, I want to, Jesus, I want to have that kind of a relationship with you where I just know that when I call upon you, you're going to do something. And uh, so it it opened up a craving for me. It made me realize that uh, I had been feasting on crumbs. Mm-hmm. instead of really dining at the savior's table
0: yeah, which is really important right whether it's a moment or not such an important um you know realization to find like oh yeah there's there's more to this journey there's more to this relationship with with God I love that okay tell us about uh that dark night that kind of that kind of struggle and how that was really affecting you particularly with the Lord is what I'm curious about but what what was that doing in your life?
1: Yeah, so I had actually worked on staff at a church uh, for a season in college. I know that's kind of frightening, <laughs> isn't it? Like, yeah, um, but I did, and uh, the pastor, the the executive pastor of of the staff. Uh, there was a book that had come out. It was written by Dr. Dobson. I don't even know if it's in print anymore. This was a long time ago, but it was called uh, Holding On to Your Faith When God Doesn't Make Sense. And uh, he gave every one of us on staff a copy of it. And he said, You know, you may not yet, as of yet, uh, walk through a season in your life where God just does not make sense at all, but one day you will. All of us will. And when you do, I want you to get this book off the shelf and and read it. And so I faithfully toted that book with me to Michigan, and it sat on a shelf, um, and I didn't even look at it for probably ten years. And when we went through infertility, I was like, "Okay, God, this is my moment. You do not make sense to me here." Like uh, at this point in my life, I had worked in children's ministry, I had taught elementary school, pretty much my whole life had been devoted toward nurturing children. And now it almost seemed like this cruel joke that this person who you've called to spend their entire life nurturing children, you say, I'm not going to give you any. Uh, And I really wrestled with God over that. And I got that book down. And I began to read it. And there's this illustration in that book, which has stayed with me forever. And it's so profound and you may have heard it, but it essentially it goes something like this. There's a man and he's standing on the edge of Niagara Falls and there's a crowd around him and he looks around and he says, Hey, um, do you think I can walk across this tightrope to the other side of Niagara Falls and back without plummeting to my death? And the crowd around him is like, well, you know, We don't know if he can or not, but it'd be kind of cool to see. So if, you know, go for it, if you're willing to do that. And so this man begins to tiptoe his way over the tightrope and reaches the other side and turns around and begins to tiptoe back. And the crowd, you know, standing on the side of the ledge is just roaring and cheering. And they're like, oh my gosh, like, you're amazing. Like, what else can you do? Like, we've never seen anybody like you before. Like, this is incredible. you know, who is like you. And so he gets back to the other side and he grabs this wheelbarrow sitting there and he turns to the crowd and he says, do you think I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope to the, to over Niagara Falls where I could possibly fall and plummet to my death? Um, do you think I can push it across this tightrope and, and go all the way across and make it all the way back? And the people are like, well, you know, you walked across the tightrope. Like that was pretty awesome. Like, yeah, go for it. Uh, So the guy takes the wheelbarrow and he's, you know, gripping the two handles tightly and he pushes the wheelbarrow across the wire and he gets to the other side and he turns around and he comes back and the crowd is just clapping and cheering. And, you know, you are amazing. You are awesome. We've never seen anything like this. What, you know, what else can you do? And, and they're just going crazy and cheering and clapping um, over this man and his ability to to navigate this tightrope. And so he finally gets back to the other side with the with the wheelbarrow, and the crowd's going wild, you know, on the edge of the cliff. And um, he quiets the crowd down, and he says, "Do you believe?" I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope to the other side and bring it back safely without plummeting to my death or dropping the wheelbarrow. And everybody looks, you know, looks at each other and looks at him, and they're like, "Well, well, of course we do. We just saw you do it." And he says, "No, no. Do you really believe I can push this wheelbarrow across without dropping the wheelbarrow or plummeting to my death?" And the crowd's like, "Well, of course. We ju- we just saw you do it with the- with our own eyes." And he grabs the guy nearest to him and he looks him in the face and he says, well, then get in the wheelbarrow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And in, in that illustration, it talks about the difference between faith and trust. And, and for so many of us, we stand on the edge of the cliff and we clap and we cheer and we say how awesome God is and how amazing he is and how there's nothing he can't do. And, and show us something else amazing, God, um, that's faith. But trust is getting in the wheelbarrow and letting God take you on the grandest adventure of your life. That's trust. And I just sensed God in that moment saying to me, you know, you have had faith in me for a very long time, but I'm asking you to get in the wheelbarrow and trust me. And if I take you on an adventure that doesn't include me growing your family through your belly, but growing your family through my bounty, will I be a good God? Will you get in the wheelbarrow? And it was a huge turning point because... That was exactly who I was, Eric. I was a person who stood safely on the cliff in the comfort of my, you know, middle class life with my comfortable house and my weekly church attendance and my Christian friends and, um, you know, a a pretty stable marriage. And God was like, "I, I don't want you to just stand on the comfortable cliff and, and have faith. I want you to get in the wheelbarrow and trust me and let me take you where I will. And that, that rocked my world.
0: Wow. Yeah, of course. That, that would uh, a couple things. First of all, that book is available on audio cassette. If you want to get it from Amazon, okay. I don't know if you have an audio cassette, who knows, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's an old book. not there. Yeah. Uh, but also really kudos to that pastor who like gave, who gave you that book, like to have that sort of foresight. That's really um, pastoral like that. I don't see a lot of people doing that. So that's, that's an interesting thing. So that it was there when you had it and, you know, interesting. So God gave you this kind of, uh, you know, experience where you're like, okay, I'm going to try to trust you through, through this now. Right. Mm -hmm. So where did that take you?
1: Yeah. So I would really describe my spiritual journey in three phases. Um, You know, I I mentioned how I came to know Jesus as a young teenager, and I would describe that season of my spiritual journey as me plus Jesus, right? Like, um, I'm living my own life. I'm trying to be a good girl. I'm trying to, you know, check all the boxes and do the right thing. And but I'm really calling the shots and I'm really doing what I want to do, but, but I have Jesus. And so, you know, I have my get out of hell free card and if I have a big fat crisis, I know I can talk to Jesus about it. Um, But other than that, I'm just really sort of living my own life and, you know, Jesus is over there and I can, you know, bother him when I need him. And then when I moved through that sort of dark night of that, of the soul, that, you know, are you really going to trust me? Uh, I would say that I moved into a season of my life where it was Jesus plus me. Like I finally understood for the first time, like, okay, it's not me just kind of going through life and doing the best I can. And Jesus is over here in the corner and I kind of tap him when I need him. Jesus really has to be in charge. He's got to be the one pushing the wheelbarrow. I've got to be the one in the wheelbarrow. He's the boss. Um, I have got to trust him to take me where he's going to take me. But there was still like the plus me part. So there were still parts of my life where I felt like, well, for Jesus's will to really be done in my life, like, I've got to do certain things, right? So I've got to be um, the wife that meets all of my husband's needs all of the time. And I've got to be the mom that make sure her kids uh, look and act perfect wherever we go. And I've got to be, you know, I've got to be on the, you know, casserole list if someone dies at church and I've got to be on the prayer list and I've got to volunteer. And, and so it was like, Jesus plus me, I've got to bring all these things to the table in order for Jesus to, to influence my life. And I would say now, Eric, I'm finally coming to the realization that the true gospel message is Jesus and the end of me. Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, when Paul says, um, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And one of the things that I think we often tell Christians Which is so faulty and has caused so much woundedness in the body is you know we love to quote Second Corinthians five seventeen you know um, if anyone is in Christ he's a new creation the old is gone the new has come and so what we sort of end up the underlying message that we give people is that you know all the trauma that you've experienced all the woundedness you've experienced the brokenness the disappointment the hurt the guilt the shame that you wrestle with the habits the addictions that you've had oh voila, magic wand new creation in christ that's all gone now and that's just not reality um that's all still there our our eternity is secure and and the holy spirit is now dwelling within us to um, enact his transformative power and to guide us into all truth and to be our help helper and our comforter and all those wonderful things that jesus promised you know in the gospel of john before he went to the cross um but jesus came to bring an end to me he came to bring an end to the guilt he came to bring an end to the shame he came to bring an end to uh, the woundedness that has happened in my life and to redeem it and to restore it but that's a process He doesn't just magically take it away. And so God is really showing me, uh, you know, I I don't need you to fix yourself. I don't need you to try to control outcomes. I don't need you to check all of these boxes in order for me to work in and through you. Um, What I need you to do is abide with me. And when you abide with me, you open the door for me to bring death, to bring an end to all of those parts of yourself that I never really intended to be part of you.
0: Yes. Okay. For me, that is the huge uh, part. And so we talked earlier about the spiritual journey and how I see that where we go through that, where we learn all these things, we learn the way of Jesus and we find like, it's absolutely appropriate to take somebody a meal or to be a, you know, to be kind whenever you can um, and to do all the things, whatever, there's, there's a season for that. But if we define ourselves by those things, like it sounds like you did, right? Like like I'm you're, you, my guess is, it's correct me if I'm wrong. It's your story, but that, that <laughs> you, that you, you know, you get, we, you get onto all these things and you go, this is what living a, gr- a good Christian life is like, right? Is I'm just, I have to do all these things. And the busyness sort of became the definition of your faith, of your, of your relationship with God. Right. Is that right? Okay. So that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. And then, and then we go through the dark night of the soul and God kind of takes all those things away, right? Just like you said, he takes away the things that aren't actually who we are, that aren't actually what he wants for us. And he does this weird thing. He starts to give us, He starts to show us who we actually are in him, right? Who we actually, yeah. who He actually called us to do the works, like I always quote Ephesians 2, uh, 10, right. The, where his workmanship, who's, he's given us things to do. I'm paraphrasing, uh, from that he's had for us to do from before the creation of the world, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So what did you, what would you say going through that process? Have you, besides business, have you, have you kind of had to get rid of and what has God replaced it with or shown you about yourself that, that is new instead?
1: Yeah. So, I think that uh, a big motivator, a big part of doing all those things and checking all those boxes is I felt like to be a Christian, I needed to look and act and be a certain way. And I needed to prove to everyone around me that I was a true, I was a godly Christian woman. Uh, right. And so um, it was an, in, it then became, Really, an endless search for affirmation and approval from people who I looked up to and thought, well, that you know, that's a that is a saint I want to be like, right? So it became this whole um, series of doing things so that I would win other people's approval, or I would avoid their disapproval or their judgment, and so it be, you know, it really became a form of idolatry in a lot of ways. Right right?
0: Yep. I was Um, just going to say that there's, there's (laughs) a sense in which, yeah, because then you start to care more about what people think of you than what God thinks of you and what he's asking you to do. Yes.
1: Yes. And I think everybody struggles with that to a degree. You know, I always, I always sort of chuckle a little bit, you know, when people will say, well, I'm so old now, I don't care what anybody thinks, (laughs) you know, but I bet you if they're, you know, 40 year old kid went out on the weekend and did something super crazy, they'd be like, I don't want anybody to know my kid's doing that. Right. Right? So we, you know, we can say things like that all day long, but the reality is we still struggle with that. Nobody, nobody is immune to the sting of rejection or criticism or judgment. Nobody chooses that for their lives. Right. Um, But you know, I, God is really bringing me on a journey of showing me that if you abide in me, if you rest in me, right? Jesus is so gentle, right? He says, come to me all who are uh, weary and find rest for your souls. Uh, when we are really content and intent on seeking Jesus and seeking his approval, Um, which we already have, like there's nothing we can do to earn it anymore. There's nothing we can do to make him love us anymore. I mean, that's just so mind blowing to me. Um, But when we really begin to rest in that and abide in him and seek his direction for our lives, seek his approval, uh, develop that intimacy with him, we can begin to really let go of these Self imposed expectations that we have of, you know, how we ought to be, should be, need to be. Um, And then we also can set healthy boundaries with other people who have unrealistic expectations upon us of, well, if we're a good Christian mom, we should do this. If we're a good Christian wife, we should do this. If we're a good Christian friend, we should do this. If we're a church member, we should do this. Uh, We find such freedom. Uh, from worrying about uh, the approval or the acceptance of other people. And that's a beautiful place to live. And, you know, I I have sensed the Lord say to me, um, until you stop worrying about what other people think, you will never be free to follow me to the places that I want to take you. And I can remember a moment I was at a writer's retreat, um, this was long before I became a published author. It was by a weird, fluky series of events that I was even there. Uh, but we were sitting around the fire, and the the woman who was leading the retreat, she really challenged us, and she said, "Identify the one thing. Identify the one thing. The one fear. The one obstacle. The, whatever the one thing is, I want you to identify that one thing that is keeping you." From fully surrendering to God, from fully just saying, yes, God, have your way. And this is so interesting, Eric, because it's, you know, this is like 15 years after my whole wheelbarrow moment. And, yeah. and that's the thing that I really want to emphasize as I'm telling these stories is it's not You know, it wasn't like once I said, okay, God, I'm going to get in the wheelbarrow that, you know, every circumstance I faced from life thereafter, it was like, okay, I'm in the wheelbarrow. You know, there was still all these moments of, but God, what are you doing? You know, what is happening? Um, Where are you? Um, She said, identify it, write it on this piece of paper and throw it in the fire. And. I can remember so clearly that the word that I wrote on my piece of paper was enough, enough. Like if everybody rejected me, if I was all alone, if, um, you know, people didn't understand me, if people scorned me, shamed me, whatever, uh, would God be enough? And I threw that into the fire and I remember so clearly uh, just sitting there in that moment and Jesus whispering to me in my soul in my heart, just saying, I will always be here and I will always be enough. And it, it was just one of those beautiful breakthrough moments for me. Um, but I think we live our lives a lot of time thinking, um, I need Jesus plus this and Jesus plus that and Jesus and Jesus says but i really want to invite you to come to a level of trust and intimacy where you know it's it's like the old adage that we say like you never know that god is all you need until god is all you've got yeah right um, you know maybe i think jesus would love it if if that adage were not so true right, yeah, right. if we could just trust that he is everything we need uh, without having to take us to a place where he is all we've got. right? Um, but you meet those people that have just that deep, unshakable faith. And 100% of the time, God has taken them. There's yep. something in their life where God was all they got. And he got them to the other side. You know, he, he got the wheelbarrow across that tenuous tightrope of a, with the sea swirling and waves splashing over them. He got him securely to the other side. Yeah. And then finally they're like, he
0: really is enough. Yeah, hundred percent. And that is exactly, you know, why we do this show, right? Because I want to share those stories because I don't, I, growing up, I didn't hear those stories enough. Maybe, maybe we had them and I wasn't paying attention. So it's entirely possible, but I, I think we all need to hear it. And I think there's a reason that so much of the Bible is narrative, right? We hear, we look at the stories of how people talk and, and experience the lord and they're there to remind us that if you show up it's okay. If you show up and you trust god, he will also show up and sometimes it'll be wild. Sometimes it'll be crazy and sometimes <laughs> it'll be subtle, right? Something you never yeah. you never know, but we get we get stories uh on both ends of the spectrum that way. I love that. Okay. Well, I'm interested. I want to talk about your book as well, the the new one letting god be enough. So you've been sharing a little bit about that. But is why, why did you decide to write this one next?
1: Yeah, so this, this one, I, as I mentioned, it's really centered on the life of Moses and uh, his struggle with self-doubt and how God really pursued him in that struggle. And there's just so many things in there that just reflect my own spiritual journey and i honestly think reflect the spiritual journey of probably 99.9% of christians i'm sure there's an outlier out there somewhere so <laughs> i don't want to lump everybody in the same group um but it, it's so fascinating to me uh with moses and you know he sensed he sensed this call of god upon his life but he didn't really fully understand it yeah and he kind of went out in his own timing and in his own Strength to try to execute this call of God upon his life. And of course, he failed epically. So he goes out among his Egyptian, uh, he's raised in the Egyptian court, but he goes out among his Israelite brothers. And, you know, he's looking around and uh, he sees an Egyptian, you know, tor- tormenting one of his Israelite slave brothers. And he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. And instead of the Israelites rallying around, him as their great savior and deliverer um they kind of mock him and he runs away in obscurity and you know we we forget that part of Moses's life we all want to go to the highlight reel right the big red sea moment and um but I think a lot of people Eric are really living out the call of God upon their life the way Moses tried to do it the first go around, they're trying to grind it out in their own strength. They're trying to do the best they can. They don't really know God in the same level of intimacy that God desired, and that God continued to draw Moses closer to Himself. They just have this vague sense of, "This is what I'm supposed to do," and so you know, I'm just going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and do the best I can. And um, and and that's just not really the way God wants us to live. That doesn't sound like the abundant life to me that Jesus no. <laughs> described in John 10, 10, but I think that's where a lot of people are. And I, and, and I think the other beautiful thing about Moses's life is, and I see this so much, especially with um, my kids' generation and, and the generation maybe between me and my kids, because I, I said, you know, we went through infertility and then adoption. So I didn't have, I didn't become a mom till I was much older, but There seems to be this growing obsession with trying to understand who we are, trying to understand ourselves and where we fit in the fabric of our church body, in the fabric of our community, in the fabric of our world. Uh, We're we're trying to understand who we are. And what I love about the encounter with Moses is when God shows up in the burning bush and he sort of reissues this call upon Moses's life. And he's like, Hey, you know, so I'm God and I see what's happening and I want to fix it. And I, you know, I'd like you to be a part. I'd like you to go in and, and kind of be, you know, be my spokesperson and, and, you know, help them understand, you know, who I am. And then, and then I care about, I care about the hurt and the pain that they're experiencing in their lives. And the very first question that Moses says to God is, but, but, who am I? That's so fascinating to me because I would think, I would like to think, I guess, that my first question would be, well, can you, God, could you just tell me a little bit more about you? Like, how's this going to work? And are you really powerful enough to make it all happen? And, you know, could you give me the game plan? But that's not what Moses does. He starts with the question of, but who am I? Right. And I, it's such a reflection of humanity because that's really what we're all asking you know well well, who am i who am i and why am i here and what's my purpose and um and what what i love about that is god does not begin to give moses a laundry list of why he's the guy for the job which is what the world constantly wants to do well you know these are your strengths and these are your life experiences and this is your educational resume so of course you're the guy for the job Moses. God doesn't ever do that. Even though there's so many things God could have said to give Moses props in that moment. But instead what God says is I'll be with you. I'll be with you. That's 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 why you're the go- the guy for the job Moses because I will be with you. And I think if we can get to a point in our lives where we can stop feeling like we have to look in the mirror and recite a litany of all of the reasons why we're enough and we're the person for this job and we can do this and we have what it takes and we're going to be able to, you know, plow through this with some level of success uh, if we put our minds to it. And, you know, instead of continuing to try to live out our Christian life in that mentality, the world's mentality, instead, just say, mm, I'm not enough. I don't feel like the girl for the job. I feel like I'm messing up way more than I'm getting it right. But you know what? God is with me. And when God said that to Moses, he finished it with saying, And at the end of it all, we're going to come right back here to this very mountain. And you will worship me. And there's such promise in that because essentially God's saying, you know what, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to make sure that I finish what we start here. Right. And he adds it and he finishes that statement with, and you're going to worship me. And there's such promise in that because essentially what God is saying to Moses is, you're going to fully understand this God that is before you right now. And that's really the invitation that God offers each of us is, but go where I send you, live fully, love generously, um, enjoy the moment, enjoy the ride in the wheelbarrow because I am going with you and I will make sure you end up exactly where you need to be. I'll be the guarantee that you're going to get there. And through that process, you are going to fully know me, even as you are fully known. Yeah. That's an incredible invitation.
0: Wow. Absolutely. It is. Okay. Friends. I don't know if you caught that, but I think a lot about um, limiting beliefs, right? The kinds of things that we're told that were, that we tell ourselves that define who we are. Right. And you can only imagine for Moses, uh, how much, how many of those, what those were like, right. After having killed someone, having been rejected by the people that he thought he was there to save, that. That, you know, may his mission is just off track and his whole life has become basically a bunch of sheep poop, right? Like that's what his life was about, right? Like, you know, that's what, that's what it turned into chasing these sheep around or moving around, whatever. And, uh, and maybe the most insignificant job for somebody who thought that he was going to be something else. And you can imagine the limiting beliefs that he, that he had. And instead, so I can see totally why he would have that conversation with God, right? Like, wait a minute but, but you're so right. What God tells him is not, this is who you are. Is, this is who I am. And I am with you. This is the great promise of all of scripture that God is with us. He he longs to be with us. So friends, what are the limiting beliefs that you have? What are the ones that are coming up in your mind right now? There's something that's coming up in your mind, in your heart, maybe in the back of your mind that you shoved to the back and you never think about. What is it? And is God's presence able to overcome it or to lead you where he wants you to go? I mean, I think the answer is pretty self obvious, but uh, but you 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 reflect on it. You reflect on it and see what see what he does. Eric, I think that's really fascinating. I think that's a great uh, a great picture. And I think you're right. A lot of us need to hear that. Um very cool. Is the book the book's already available, right? You can get it wherever, wherever you get great yeah, books.
1: You can pre order it. Okay. Uh, It's officially going to release uh, right after Labor Day uh, at the end of summer, but you can pre-order it. And uh, if you go to my website at EricaWigginhorn.com, there's some pretty cool uh, pre-order freebies that you will get if you place your order before the actual release date of the book. So I would encourage your listeners to check that out if anything I just shared resonated with them.
0: Perfect. And I've got links to your website and to the book and everything that we talked about uh, at uh, halfwaytherepodcast.com I love it, Erica. Thanks so much for sharing some of your story with us. Is there anything you want to leave us with?
1: I would like to talk to the person out there who maybe they are in a season of life where life is not unfolded in the way that they expected. Or maybe God feels really far away, or maybe God feels unfair. Um, I've walked through all of those emotions with God, and I think that what ends up happening is when our circumstances don't line up with our expectations, we can begin to believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs. And God, The most amazing thing that God does not want to do is bring about a change in our circumstances. He wants to bring about a change in us and he will place us in circumstances where we will not be enough. We cannot secure the outcome we want. We cannot heal our loved one of cancer. We cannot bring our prodigal back to Jesus. We cannot, um, free our loved one from an addiction, There are horrible heartaches in this life that we cannot change. Um, And when God doesn't change it in our timeline, uh, we begin to believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs. And if that's you, if you are in that season, what I want to remind you of is that God is with you, that God's writing of your story is always five, six, seven, eight chapters beyond what you are able to read right now. And that when he feels far away, those are really your invitations to turn and chase after him. And so don't run away from God and live in your doubts. Instead, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs because you know in your heart God is real. And while he may seem so mysterious to you in this moment, he is not far off. And he is bringing you to a place where you are going to be able to see him in ways that you could not see him before. I think about Abraham and when God... You know what did God use to remind Abraham of his promises he used the stars we can only see the stars when we're standing in the dark right and so if God has you in a, a dark place right now it's because he wants to show you his promises and he wants to bring you to a, a level of trust that you say I All I can see is the stars. All I can see is the promises. I can't see the reality of any of it in my life yet, but I can see the promises and I'm going to choose to believe my beliefs.
0: Yeah, choose to believe. That's great. Uh, All right, Erica, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Once again, friends, uh, all the links that you need are at HalfwayTherePodcast.com. Thanks, Erica.
1: Thank you.